chapter 1 states clearly for us. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Would you mind giving them a little light so they can read their Bibles with me? And I don't really like that superstar kind of feeling, you know, all the spotlight. It's a little building. You know, we got a lot of spots. The blood of Jesus. Feel free. Whenever you read, you go ahead and start that. Are we recording? Hi, good afternoon. <laughs> I am, I'm actually shaking in my body at this message. And I, I, I don't know whether I'm fearful or apprehensive or anointed. So let's choose number three and go with that. That's the usual. I want to talk about the blood of Jesus today. We're going to be in Hebrews 9, 10, and Romans 3, and Ephesians 2. And, but when you start talking about the blood of Jesus, you've got to take the whole Bible. And that's hard to do. You can't preach the whole Bible in one short message. But many of us have heard over time the, the uh, mention of the scarlet thread. The scarlet thread runs from one end of the Bible to the other. It's that bloodline of Christ that is flowing through every book, getting all the way to the end. If, it was not, for the, if, if not for the blood of Jesus, we actually have no hope at all. I mean, it's wonderful that we have the Savior Jesus, but we can't just have him be the man Jesus, the Son of God Jesus, without stopping long enough to examine that he gave up his blood. And I hope that doesn't make anybody cringe talking about blood today. Um, My mind's been all over this, uh, and I decided no illustrations. Anybody know what this is? That's a hymnal. (laughs) We don't use them much. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The chorus, lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains, And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. I hope that today we get a revelation on this point. And if we've been immersed in the blood of Jesus, if the blood of Jesus has been applied to us, we lose all our guilty stains. In the Old Covenant, which Rob addressed last week, there were furnishings running all the tabernacle, the fence, and the outer court, and the holy place, and the holy of holies. And he demonstrated those parts and pieces of furniture in the tabernacle in the wilderness that came on then rather to be used in the temple as well. All of that that God designed. He told Moses, build it exactly as I showed you up in the mount. 
Imagine he got the blueprint straight from God. And there's a lot of detail in that tabernacle. My goodness, you go study that, you could be there for half your life. You can get down to studying all the little gold bulbs and silver sockets and what kind of boards and how much it took and how long it took to pack it up and cover it up and put it on the wagons and move it and who's in charge. It's all there. It's all there. But everything in that tabernacle and everything in that temple points to Christ. Everything. Jesus became the fulfillment of all of that. And the most significant component is his blood. Every time you sinned under the old covenant, you had to bring some sacrifice. It could have been turtle doves or it could have been grain offerings. If you were poor, you had some uh, grace that was administered to you that you could bring certain pieces of meal and offering of, of food values. But ultimately, some blood had to be shed. Because according to Leviticus chapter 17, in verse 11, you may want to find this in your Bible and understand where it is, since how we are using the book. Leviticus 17 is a chapter about the sanctity of blood. And verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. If we were to go over, and we will be there shortly in Hebrews chapter 9, we'll read that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There's no covering over. There's no taking away of sin without blood. The reason for that is because Romans 3.23 states for us, a lot of us have memorized this, for the wages of sin is what? The wages. Now, if you work for wages and it comes to the end of the week and you go to your employer and you put out your hands and say, I need to receive my wages. I worked all week. Now I want to be paid for it. Even in chores around our house as the kids were growing up, we'd have chore lists. And we'd say, if you do these chores, then there was some benefit to that at the end of the week. Uh, even in the area of discipline with our children, we would say, if you do these things, you earn something. You talk back to your mom. You will earn a SWAT. And we would just put a little chart on the refrigerator, and it'd have their names. Remember this? Huh? And, uh, and if, if mom, didn't have to, mom didn't have to defend herself during the day. See, this was a benefit. I got to be the bully. I'd come home at the end of the day, and if, she, if during the day they talked back to her, and said, oh, my, you just earned one. She would just mark it on the fridge. When I came home, I'd review the list. Oh, you get one, you get two, you get none. Well, do you want to do that before we eat or after? Because you earn the wages, and I'm the guy that pays them. And we'd go in their bedroom and have an event. And then we'd ask Jesus to forgive us. And we'd forgive each other. And we'd ask Mom to forgive us. I'm telling you, parents, it took a lot of time. A big investment. But the wages always got paid. And your wages, the Bible says, the wages of your sin is death. And so if the life is in the blood, God from the beginning required life for life. If the sinner was supposed to die, God said, here, do this animal in place of. Take the blood of this sacrifice and then put it in place of yours. And you, therefore, will get to live again. Your sin will not put you to death today. But there must be an offering for sin. And Leviticus 17 11, it says the blood makes atonement for the soul. Now, we're not Jewish. Anybody here Jewish, really? I mean, most of us are not. We're just Gentiles, right? 
So we're not really practiced and skilled in the old covenant worship practices. In fact, when we talk about the Day of Atonement, uh, it doesn't ring much for us like it would for a Jewish person. It's a huge event in the life of a Jew. The Day of Atonement. It's a day of drawing out your soul. It's a day of fasting. It's a day of putting everything aside. It's a day of hope that the blood will be put upon the altar and that my life will be spared again for another year until Messiah comes. Now, you and I know Messiah has already come. We're praying for Israel to see that the Messiah has already come. That they don't have to look for that Day of Atonement every year. Because on the Day of Atonement, the high priest only started with Aaron. He would go and he would take a bull and he would sacrifice the bull and then take the blood of the bull and go into the presence of God and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and in front of the altar for himself first. God, forgive my sin. I'm an unholy man. Then he would go back out and take the lamb or the goat and kill the goat, take the blood of the goat. And that blood was then taken back into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the mercy seat and in front of the Ark of the Covenant for the sins of the entire nation. And then he would come out to the other goat, which we know as the scapegoat. Right? Most of us have been one at some point in our life. Now, we understand the scapegoat to some degree, but then the, the, the high priest would lay his hands on the head of that goat and confess the sins of the entire nation for a year. Now, I don't know that that was a 30-second prayer, but he would confess the sins of the nation, ask God's forgiveness, and then somebody would have to take that goat and lead it out away from safety into the wilderness and let it loose to carry the sins away. All of that washings and sprinkling of blood and killing of animals and special kinds, red heifers and ashes. and We used to say incense and nonsense, bells and smells. It's kind of a summary of the priesthood. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, And as you're turning to Hebrews chapter 9, let me say this. I wrote this at the top of my notes, probably somewhat for myself. But I have to, I have, to have a, a beginning point for myself when I'm reading the Word. And I have to start on a subject like this. I say, God, what is your motive in all of this? And his response to me is, my motive has always been the same. I love you. I only have one motive. I love you. We read John 3.16, the most known verse of Scripture of the whole Bible in all the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Right? He loved. His motive is love. First John, and in, in, He writes in First uh, John chapter 4, I think it is. Let me just, while you're looking at Hebrews, I'll sneak over to First John here. And read this. I find it interesting that I, I it's even hard for me to turn the pages because my hands are shaking. I just shared my life with you, okay? You know, my blood pressure is good. I'm not going to drop here. But I feel this quivering thing happening in me. And I just pray that it will turn to Revelation for me and you. First John chapter 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves 
is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. His motive is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Propitiation is probably not a word we use much. Definition here. Christ, his sacrificial death, appeases the wrath of God on account of sin. By means of the atoning death of Christ, God can be merciful to the sinner who believes in him, and reconciliation is effected. Sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all. Can you say all? Think about it for a moment. All are guilty stains. Under the old covenant with washings and the brazen labor, the priests would wash their feet and their hands and check their face and make sure they didn't have anything on them before they went in before the presence of God. Before they handled any of the, of the religious sacrifice or process that was there, putting out showbread, lighting lamps, uh, burning incense on the altar, offering sacrifice on the brazen altar itself, they would always wash. But you and I know from experience that when we sin, there's an internal problem. It's not external. If we imagine what this room would look like right now if sin left an ashen mark on our face. Every time you send a little black mark, or I suppose for people of color it would have to be a white mark, or something was net made obvious, or your hair stood out sideways or something, <laughs> right? I mean, we would not want to be in public much, would we? Because this demonstration of our spots would be apparent to all. And so if you will help, help go with me.